Hey everyone, welcome to an exceptional episode of the African Football Roundup. Today's Friday, so normally we'd have the African Five-A-Side podcast where we look at historic figures in African football. And in match day one, uh, we're currently looking at African heads of state. But this is an exceptional episode of the Football Roundup because we're smack dab in the middle of FIFA World Cup qualifiers. And so uh, in a little bit, we're going to get into... Uh, the beginning of these FIFA World Cup qualifiers, uh, who's favorite to qualify to the World Cup, uh, this new qualifying format, and most especially the 9.5 spots that are up for grabs for the 2026 World Cup. Before we begin, just a reminder that all of this content on the YouTube channel is brought to you by the good people over at africasacountry.com, so please do head over there if you're looking for some of the best coverage on the African continent. Um, so without further ado, let's get into the nitty gritty and talk about the 2026 FIFA World Cup qualifiers that have just begun. So I really wanted to talk about these FIFA World Cup qualifiers because they're unlike any other in African football history. Um, and let's take a look at that history of African football. The first African team to qualify for a FIFA World Cup was Egypt in 1934. But really in the post-war uh, history of, of football in general, we didn't have an African team qualify to the World Cup until 1970. And what you have to know is that really from the 1950s to 1970, African teams were trying to qualify to World Cups, but they didn't even have one single spot guaranteed to the continent. Uh, they had to go through this rigorous qualification process on the continent, and then they had to play more rigorous playoffs off of the continent. And we talk about this very briefly in the African Five-A-Side podcast of Kwame Nkrumah, which you can go back on this channel and watch. Um, but it actually took Kwame Nkrumah's government alongside the Ethiopian administrator, Yednekatu Tesema, boycotting FIFA at the 1966 World Cup. You know, the, the 66 World Cup that England is so proud to win, they only really won because the African teams boycotted it. Um, but we were always underrepresented. We finally get that guaranteed place in 1970. And from 1970 on, you see small progressions by African nations. So 1970, we draw, we pick up our first point. 1974, there was a little bit of a hiccup. 1978, first win. 1982, first African team with two wins. 1986, make it to the knockout stages. 1990, quarterfinals. And it keeps going on and on and on, and it keeps building. The only decade where we didn't really have a lot of progress were the 2010s, but 2022 last year was our best World Cup yet. We had three teams in the knockout stages and we had Morocco get to the semifinals of a World Cup. I mean, it's just historic. Everybody remembers the run that they went on and the Atlas Lions, I think, are going to be immortalized for it, just like many of the great African teams of the past uh, were because of their performances at the World Cup. But now this World Cup, the 2026 World Cup, Africa is going to have 9.5 places to it. Um, and as the World Cup continues to be hosted in the Global South, I think we'll see African sides improve even more. But the question is, is 9.5 the right number? Me personally, I believe so. When we say 9.5, by the way, we mean 9 automatic qualifying places. And the 0.5 means that the 10th African team is going to have to go and play a playoff in the Inter-Confederation playoff. So maybe a team from Asia or, or Europe or South America or North America to try and make it to that 2026 World Cup. So is 9.5 the right number? It's, a, it's an interesting question. Look, 
I think this is the perfect number for Africa. I think in the past we had been underrepresented always from the 1970s on. Um, for example, let's take let's take a look at the 1980s. 1982, you have Algeria winning two matches and being eliminated in the group stages, and you have Cameroon not losing a single match. Draw, draw, draw. 1986, you have Morocco making it to the second round. And you have Cameroon, again, putting in a good performance. Algeria, was, we're in a group of death. 19, sorry, 1990 was Cameroon going to, to the quarterfinals. 1986 was Morocco and Algeria. The 80s were almost the golden age of African football. You had a very strong Nigeria side. You had a very strong Cameroon side. Morocco, Algeria, Egypt. Africa deserved at least three to four spots, even though we only had two. And in the 90s, Africa ended up having three and then five. And I always felt like there were more world-class sides than spaces. But now, 9.5, I personally believe, is the perfect number. Let's take a look at the five teams that qualified for the 2022 World Cup. You had Morocco, Senegal, Cameroon, Ghana, and Tunisia. These are all sides that I think the consensus in world football is that they're all very good sides with world-class players that can play against anybody on their day. But let's look at the next four teams. Algeria. Egypt, Nigeria, Cote d'Ivoire. Is there a big difference between like a Morocco and an Egypt, an Algeria and a Cameroon, a Tunisia and a Cote d'Ivoire? Not at all. For me, they're all on the same level. Those are the nine of the best teams on the African continent. And if we could get all of them to the World Cup, I think we're going to have some real success there. The 0.5 teams, so, so after nine teams, do we see a little bit of a drop-off? After the nine teams, we have teams like Mali, Burkina Faso, South Africa, very good sides, sides that are contenders on the African continent, but not necessarily at that very, very top level like those other nine are. So I think 9.5 is, for me, the perfect number, and I think Africa is finally perfectly represented at the FIFA World Cup. What I mean to say is that the quality is not going to be diluted at all. Now, the, the Inter-Confederation playoff, we didn't really talk about it much, but I think it's going to be very interesting. And I think teams like Burkina Faso or Guinea or South Africa or Mali could shock the rest of the world because I think people are going to be surprised at the quality of those sides. Um, as for can any minnows sort of upset some of those top nine teams, I don't really think so. I mean, in the past, we've had teams like Guinea-Bissau, Burundi, Madagascar achieving good results at the AFCONs. And you think, can sides like that, you know, really take it to the heavyweights in African football? I think it's going to be a tall ask. Um, it's not impossible for them to make an inter-confederation playoff, but I do think those nine teams are going to have those spots locked in. And so qualifying has begun. Um, and the interesting thing is we have these nine groups of six teams, and we have 45 teams that automatically qualify to this final round of qualifying. I mean, accepting the, the inter-confederation playoff. And with that, you have David versus Goliath matchups. <laughs> Just this match day, we had Algeria versus Somalia, Egypt versus Djibouti, Nigeria versus Lesotho, Senegal versus South Sudan, Tunisia versus Sao Tome e Principe, Cameroon versus Mauritius. So these are all expected to be very lopsided matches um and with these david and goliath matches especially you know the, the the minnows from east africa there were a lot of trouble so for example um eritrea actually pulled out they didn't even 
they, they qualified to this final round, but they didn't actually participate. And there's a big, big problem in countries like Eritrea, uh, Djibouti, and Somalia of players defecting. So national team players traveling with their team and then declaring pl for political asylum. Uh, there's a good article that came out in The Guardian that says, Since 2009, it is estimated that more than 60 players have used their status as international footballers to seek asylum. Uh, this international break, a Somali player defected from the Somalian national team as they were doing their preparatory training camp in Tunisia. Um, and last year, it reminded me that last year as well, uh, Djibouti player did the same, two Djibouti players did the same thing in Algeria. And so it's been interesting seeing things like that, things that we don't really usually see in the final round of World Cup qualifying. Um, but as for the results, I mean, so far, these are my observations. The teams that have been hot in African football, teams like Equatorial Guinea, Mozambique, DR Congo, uh, these teams all qualified to, to the African Cup of Nations in January. They're on very, very hot streaks, and they all picked up three points. So there's some kind of coherency um, or coherence from and carryover from, from AFCON qualifying to World Cup qualifying, which I think is very interesting. And and bodes well for those teams, especially a team like DR Congo with Sebastian de Sabra as the head coach. If you look at the results over the last 12 months, they've been second to none on the African continent. Actually, DR Congo, <laughs> I think DR Congo might be the only country that can push Nigeria for the best strikers on the African continent. Nigeria obviously have Victor Osimhen at Napoli. They have Victor Boniface at Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, Tara Mofi at Nice, Adamola Lukman uh, in, uh, in Italy, if Atalanta. Um, you have uh, Kalachi Iheanacho. I mean, Nigeria quite famously have an endless supply of strikers, but DR Congo have Cedric Bakambu, Galatasaray, who is um, <laughs> one of the best Congolese strikers of the last decade. You have Simon Benza, who's currently leading uh, the Portuguese league in scoring the last time I checked with Braga. Uh, you have uh, Jackson Muleka, who plays for Besiktas uh, and is scoring a lot of goals. And you have Fiston Mayale, who those of us who have been following football on the African continent know has been probably the best striker in African football alongside maybe Peter Shalilile of Mamelodi Sundowns. Um, he was playing for Yanga last year and now he's playing for Pyramids FC. So those three teams, Equatorial Guinea, Mozambique, and DR Congo, pick up some interesting wins. But I was really looking forward to how the giants of African football, Egypt, Algeria, and Nigeria, uh, did this Thursday evening. Um, Egypt destroyed Djibouti at home, 6-0. And I do think they could be early favorites for an AFCON. And when I discussed this with other colleagues, they said, really, Egypt? I think so. I mean, people forget that Egypt have qualified for two finals of the last three AFCONs. They were in the final of 2017. They were in the final of 2021. And they had this way of playing where they're really combative midfield, really experienced, tall and physical defenders, great goalkeeping, especially in penalty shootouts. And then they were relying on their very talented attacking front line. Obviously, that's spearheaded by Mohamed Salah, the best player on the African continent over the last five years. But you also have Mustafa Mohammed, who's looked great at Galatasaray. Now he's had a great year and a half at Nantes in France. You have Omar Maramouche, probably the hottest player in the Bundesliga, who's currently playing for Eintracht Frankfurt. You have Trezeguet, you have Zizou. Um, 
really, really so many talented players on the wing or, or as strikers. And they have an identity. They know how they want to play. And they've made it before. They have experience. And you need people that know the AFCON know that you need experience to win an AFCON. So Egypt, I think, are really at the perfect point. Re Vittoria as a coach is we're gaining a lot of plaudits. Um, and I, I do think that Egypt are one of the more coherent sides heading into uh, the AFCON this January. So Egypt destroyed Djibouti, and that's logical. Algeria don't look great. Algeria hosted Somalia, and we were all expecting to win by you know four, five, six goals, kind of like what Egypt did to Djibouti. And Algeria only won 3-1. Now, Algeria is going through a transition of sorts where they've let go of a lot of former players, um, older players, and they're bringing in a, a, a new, younger generation. Players like Ferris Shaibi of Eintracht Frankfurt, Hussam Awar of Roma, um, players like Amin Guiri of Rennes, um, Rayan Eitnouri or Yasser Larousi as left-backs. These are all young players that were brought in over the last three, four months. And what's been interesting to see is can the coach Jamal Bamadi blood them in uh, before January. And so far, I think he's done a, a good job of doing that. He's done a good job of recruiting them, good job of, of playing them. And I think they've played up to a pretty decent standard, especially players like Ferris Shaibi. The problem is I have, I'm quickly losing a lot of faith in Jamal Blumadi's system. Um, it seems to me like for far too long, it's been more than a year and a half now, when in possession of the football, Algeria are much too slow. The ball velocity is lethargic uh there's very little creativity unless like red mahrez is on the ball or a player like adam unes is on the ball uh very few off the ball runners uh it's it's the same 4-3-3 that jamal bamadi has been playing over the last five years uh with a deep six and two eights and it, it's just so bland and everybody knows what algeria is playing and they set up in low blocks and algeria struggles to break it down and then on top of all of that, they have a fragile center-half pairing with either Isa Mondi or Rami Ben Sabaini or Mohamed Amin Tugay. I mean, these players are good center-halves in probably a back three, but not in a, a flat flat four with a, with two center-halves. And they struggle with things like set pieces, and Somalia ends up, ends up scoring on a set piece, but Somalia had more chances. <laughs> they could have scored at least two or three goals. Um, so so the, the defenders scare me. In possession, Algeria is very sterile and slow and horizontal. Um, and it I just don't see it improving very quickly. The quality is there. But I don't know if these players, first of all, are used to playing on the continent. Players like Emin Guiri or, or Hussam Awar. And second of all, the, tactically, it just doesn't look right at the moment. So Algeria, I, at the moment, I don't think we can put them as favorites just yet. And finally, Nigeria. Nigeria are not serious. <laughs> Nigeria drew 1-1 with Lesotho at home. And Lesotho is, is not as poor as Djibouti or Somalia, um, especially Somalia, no, no disrespect. But Nigeria, to have the firepower they have, and they just cannot, they, they look completely, they, they missed a lot of setters. Lesotho's goalkeeper pulled off some some good saves. They had, you know, like a ball cleared off the goal and go off the goal line. But there's no excuse for drawing 1-1 at home in a World Cup qualifier against Lesotho if you're in Nigeria. They have so much quality and it, they need to start making it work. And the, the fingers are starting to point at the coach, Jose Pissero. 
he was brought in to, to replace uh, Gernot Rohr. And since then, Algeria, uh, sorry, Nigeria, look a little hapless. And there's also the, the discourse in the country right now is, do we, are we relying, are we over-reliant on Victor Osimhen? Because Victor Osimhen did not play in this match, and Nigeria only scored one goal off a corner kick from Semi Ajayi uh, rising up and, and heading the ball in. And Victor Osimhen, I mean, you have Victor Boniface, you have all these great strikers, but people seem to think that the only way that Nigeria will look very sharp in attack is with Victor Osimhen. So I don't know what the solution is. AFCON's coming up in two months' time. Uh, they have to win their next match now, and they're going to have to win the rest of their home matches. But it's been an inauspicious start to the campaign for Nigerian Super Eagles. Um, and that does not look good. That does not bode well for the rest of the campaign. So I'm really interested to see the rest of these David versus Goliath matchups. Teams like Tunisia against Sao Tome, uh, Cameroon versus Mauritius. And see how the other teams look, the other heavyweights. Um, and then those same heavyweights are going to go and play the fourth uh, ranked team in their respective groups. So uh, we're going to come back and recap uh the rest of the action either on Monday or Tuesday in another episode of the Football Roundup. And then next week, we'll get back to the African Five-A-Side uh, podcast. So uh, thanks for checking in. Um, I hope you're enjoying all of this FIFA World Cup qualifying. Don't forget to check out africasacountry.com. And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll speak soon.